Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. And I, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed being with you. It's an absolute, it's just a zinger to get to come to Zion Rest. I mean, it is something. I mean, it's, it's more fun than a zip line. I'm telling you. I mean, it is. Haven't, haven't we had a great time? I mean, and I'm not saying my preaching's all that great, but we've had a great time. Well, I have had a great time. I'll just put it that way. And I've never been in a more hospitable home than your pastors. And his precious wife. Jeremiah chapter 18. And uh, you pray for me. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Okay, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. Now, okay, I know I said that about the support of the ministry. I'm changing horses now. It's hard, it's hard isn't it? it? I know. That was some more counseling. Jeremiah, you go down to the potter's house. I've got something I want to teach you. Now, back in these days, the potters, they, they had a treadle. They, they pumped it with their feet. They spun it around. They were, and they made pots, earthen vessels yeah. in the old-fashioned way. And by the way, did you know the Bible also says we have this treasure in earthen vessels? Yeah. So the earthen vessel is very much... A picture or a symbol of you and me. When remember what I preached now about born again, the new creature is put inside your earthen vessel. It's inside there. Isn't that a mind blower? It's kind of like the Lord. The Lord lit your light. The Lord lit your light, and He put it in your earthen vessel. <laughs> The Bible is so amazing. But anyway, okay. Arise, go down to the potter's house, and I'm going to show. Okay. Then I went down. So Jeremiah does what the Lord said. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrote a work on the wheels. The potter is making a pot or something. He's making something. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he's working on it. Something goes wrong. Yeah, I don't know what. And it flops over, and it's no good anymore. Something went wrong. What does the potter do? The potter, in this example, does not throw the vessel on the rubbish heap. (laughs) Now, I know there's an eternal lesson in this, but I don't want the eternal lesson. I want the timely lesson. I'm going to tell you, God is a God of second chances. Aren't you glad? Churches go through hard times. People go through hard times. People mess up. I guess churches mess up. God is a God of second chances. And third and fourth chances. Now, I also need to say there, you can't be rebellious forever and get by with it. 
There's a line out there that you dare not cross. God can and does turn His own people over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient that is taught in God's Word. Doesn't have a thing to do with their eternal destiny, but it has a great deal to do with their profitability while they live here. Now, I can't... It just gives me the creeps to think that I could get myself into a shape where I would no longer be profitable to God in my life. But I think every one of us need to realize that that possibility is out there and let us strive to never let it happen in our own individual lives or in our churches. So the vessel, something goes wrong with the vessel and it's marred. What does the potter do? Continuing in verse 4, so he made it again another vessel. I love that. Took the same lump, the same piece of clay that something went wrong with it. It flopped over something. I don't know what. I I couldn't make a a mud pie, I don't think. But he's making something and it flops over. What does he decide to do? He's going to make something else out of the same piece of clay. By the way, we're also told in the Bible that in the kingdom there's, there's... there are all different kinds of vessels. Vessels of honor, some that are not quite so honorable. Let me tell all of you, each and every one of you are vessels in God's kingdom. You may say to yourself, well, I'm not a very good, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just a little, uh, I don't know. I'm just a little cup. I'm not a fancy vase. Well, whoop! to do if you're a cup in the house of God you be the best cup you can be and if you're a vase you you be the best vase you can be if you're a water whatever you are with all your heart fill your place in God's house right can everybody be preachers can everybody be pastors can everybody be deacons but let me say to you No one can fill your place but you. So if you're not here, may I be so bold as to say, the body at Zion Rest is incomplete. In a sense, it is. You're not filling your place, right? You're not here, not filling your place, there's a holler here. There's a hollow, you know what I mean? There's a, there, you know. You don't know what a holler is over here in Alabama? We understand that language in Arkansas. Okay. So what does he do? He makes another vessel. Notice, as seemed good to the potter to make it. I love that even. Who's the sovereign here? See, God gave you a gift. God made you a vessel. God gave you talents. God gave you abilities. Brother Charles scolded me yesterday. He scolded me something awful. Balled me out on the way home. He did. I'll let him tell you about that. Because I wish my gift was as good as his, or I wish I could preach as smooth as Sam Bryant or whatever. He just balled me out something awful and told me, look, God gave you a gift. Suck it up, buttercup. I mean, that's in essence what he was telling me. Just get over it. I say the same thing to all of you. Oh, the Lord has given you a gift. He's made you a vessel. Every one of you. 
And by the way, if you're not in the church, today's the day for you to make the commitment. So, he makes it as it seemed good to the potter to make it. I love the fact the Lord did not ask the vessel what it wanted to be when it grew up. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) I just love that so much. And y'all, we're talking about a child of God here that's been being formed into something else. And actually, he's talking to the nation of Israel even. In other words, the church. Church, are you listening? Churches can also be transformed into something different. Here's what I believe about it. Y'all listen. I don't know of a church. I mean, I love you. Do you understand I love you? Let me tell you how we say it in Arkansas. I love you like a hog loves slop, and that's a lot. <laughs> Y'all understand I love you, right? Zion Rest, I love you. I love your pastor. I love coming here. It's a zinger to get to preach to you. But Zion Rest has not yet reached the height of its potential. There's, there's higher ground. Amen. There is no church on this earth that has reached its fullest potential. None. Now, now I I can just imagine a traditionalist saying to me, the church is perfect. Well, if you're thinking about some invisible mystical something that's, you know, up in the stratosphere that that nobody's ever seen or ever attended, maybe so. But if you understand that when the church, when you say the church, you're talking about the body of called out Children of God, none of whom are perfect. That's right. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if there is, if you find the perfect church, whatever you do, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Yep. Right? So there's... Okay. But that's really not what I'm after. I want this to be individual. Then the word... so. The potter, the vessel Mars, the potter then makes it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter. This piece of clay got a second chance. Isn't that great? Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? I'll I'll stop right there. And this vessel was then made into something that was useful. Okay, the, the vessel marred. It was useless. It was no good. It was of no benefit. It could not be used for anything good. And then the Lord took the same piece of clay and he made another vessel over here that was useful and good and profitable in the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? God uses people who are messed up. God uses people who have been ruined and remade. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about being born again there. I'm talking about that have messed up and repented and been remade. God uses people who are damaged goods. God uses people who are imperfect. Who are marred. God uses discombobulated people. 
He even uses sinful people. And the reason why, that's the only kind of people available. God is a God of second chances. And there are so many examples of this in the Bible, I just get so thrilled thinking about it. Adam and Eve. Just let me give you some examples till my time expires. Adam and Eve. Boy, were they marred vessels. They are the only two people that ever became sinners. May I, may I say, Jesus Christ didn't even become a sinner. He was made to be sin. Big difference. Big difference. They are the only two people that ever became sinners. They, they were the only two people that ever became totally depraved. All the rest of us were conceived that way. And unless you're born again in your mother's womb, you're born dead in sins. You know, boy, that's a mind blower. Good gracious. They became sinners. What did God do? He gave them a second chance. And they were still the fountainhead of the human race. Isn't that amazing? And then not only did they do that, they taught their, they taught their boys right. They taught their boys right. They sure did. Even after they messed up, they blew it completely. They blew it. But they eventually taught their boys correctly. They taught Cain and Abel first fruits giving. They taught them what they were supposed to do to honor God. Now, one of them couldn't do it by faith, I think. Now, I'm not totally sure about that, but that's why it looks to me from the scriptures. It says in the New Testament, he was of that wicked one. So I think he just went through the motions, but did not do it by faith, and therefore it did not please God. Did y'all hear what I just said? He went through the motions, but he did not do it by faith. He had no faith with which to operate. He just went through the legalistic motions, and it did not please God. So I submit, if I could tell someone who's unregenerate to do something... And even if they did it without faith, it still would not please God. Amen. Think about what I just told you. So Adam and Eve, even though they blew it, God still used them. Now think about Abraham. Second one on my list here. Abraham. Boy, did he blow it. Now, when... In Genesis chapter 15, Brother Charles and I spent two hours talking about this last night. In Genesis chapter 15, God said, you're going to have a son. Look up here. Look at the stars. So shall thy seed be. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham's belief, God says, was a righteous act. And I'm going to tell you, believing what God says is righteous action. Even though you don't do doodly squat, all you do is believe what God says. I'm not talking about believing in God. I'm talking about believing what God says. God says that's righteous action. And by the way, you're not saved eternally by righteous actions. Put that together. Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. And then he had to wait a while. You know, God does often delay the fulfillment of his promises. There's delays all through the Bible. So Abraham waits a while. And then, you know, when about 13 years later, if my memory serves, uh, he's 86 years old, if I remember right. And uh, God has delayed the promise. Uh, here comes Sarah. And I don't know what Sarah was thinking. Yeah. 
and says, uh, well, <clears throat> things are not working out too pretty good here. So over here's this cutie, Hagar. I do understand Abraham's response, being male myself. God help us hairy-legged men. Abraham went into Hagar. That was not according to God's will or plan. It was not. God never, never, never wanted men to be married to more than one woman. I went through all that Friday night. Wore myself out. Wore you out. And, and from that day on, there was strife and turmoil in Abraham's home. Because Ishmael, Hagar had had Ishmael, and so she got her nose in the air looking down her nose at Sarah over here who didn't have any children yet. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I've got a baby boy. What do you got? <laughs> I'm par- that, but that's in the Bible. And eventually, Abraham had to send Hagar and Ishmael out. And there's a great lesson in that as well. Now, Abraham did this terrible thing. And I have something else Abraham did that I never, you know, Abraham went to this town and uh, lied about who Sarah was to save his own stinking hide. I can't imagine what, if I'd have been Sarah, I'd have said, looky here, boy. What are you doing? She had a right to be angry with him. I think. Treating her like that. What's up with that? Treating your wife like that. She's my sister. She's not my wife. Just to save his own stinking hide. Nevertheless, boy, did Abraham mess up. Would you agree that's messing up pretty bad? Nevertheless, God still gave him Isaac. Abraham botched it. He blew it. He messed up. God still allowed him to have Isaac. And incidentally, not only, not only did Isaac eventually result in the nation of Israel being as the sands of the sea, stars of the heaven, Isaac eventually, through his line, gave us Jesus Christ, Messiah, as far as his human nature is concerned. Isn't that amazing? Did God give Abraham a second chance is what I'm asking you. God used Abraham even though he blew it. Even though he messed up, even though his home was out of sorts, I mean, he was kind of a wreck there for a while at least. And God still used Abraham in his service and 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 brought into existence miraculous things through. The, and then, not only after that, even after that, not only did Abraham bring Isaac into existence, eventually Abraham took that boy up on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22 and offered him for a burnt offering, as God said. One of the greatest acts of faith I know of anywhere in the Bible is that Abraham took that boy up there and was going to burn him up. Would you have done it? I don't know. Now, this is the discombobulated man that blew it. 
doing this tremendous, awesome, incredible thing on Mount Moriah. And, and, and here's, here's the thing, Brother Charles and I were talking about this. Abraham had been told, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What that meant was Isaac had to have children. And in Isaac was the nation of Israel going to... So Isaac was not only going to have children, his progeny eventually were going to be like the sands of the seashore. And then God says, burn him up. That looks like God is contradicting himself. God is not contradicting himself. By the way, when we read the Bible and it looks like God's contradicting himself, guess who's got an idea messed up? Abraham was so faithful, loved God so much, believed God so much that he harmonized those two apparently contradictory statements of Almighty God. One, Isaac's going to have children. Two, kill him and burn him up. Abraham reconciled those two with the doctrine of the resurrection. He knew that God would raise him from the dead if he burned him up. This is the man that went into Hagar. Through the lust of the flesh. Let's be blunt. Aren't you glad God gave him a second chance? Look how look what God did with Abraham even after he messed up. Did he suffer for messing up? Boy, did he ever. Don't think that messing up does not have its consequences. It does, but it does not mean God throws you on the rubbish heap. It does not mean you can't use, be found in the active service of God and be profitable in the service of God. It does not mean that at all. Amen. There's forgiveness available for you and me. Amen. And boy, do we need it. I have messed up so bad. I, 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 I don't, I'm not going to tell you. No. But I have. And God has given me second, third, and fourth chances. I bet you every one of you could say that. God has been so merciful to me. And then I want to tell you how grateful we all ought to be that God has not put us on the rubbish heap, but we're still in His service, in His church, among His people, enjoying these blessings, these privileges, these responsibilities, and having the opportunity, I trust, to expand the kingdom a little bit farther. Spread the gospel a little bit more. Reach a few more folk. Convert them to the truth so that they too can believe what God says and it be counted to them for righteous action. This is important. What you believe matters. I'm not saying what you do doesn't matter. But I'm telling you what you believe matters. If I believe something about God that isn't true, you think about what I've just done. I have defamed. God. If I believe something about God that isn't true, is God going to count that to me for a righteous action? You think about what I'm telling you. That's powerful. So Abraham blew it, got a second chance. Along comes a man named Moses. Moses, about 40 years old, decides he's going to take matters into his own hand and he kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand, thinking he's going to deliver the children of Israel through his own strength. Boy, did he blow it. He blew it. What happened to him? Well, God didn't say, that's it, Moses. Sorry, buddy. Your history, I'm going to use uh, Aaron. 
He did use Aaron. But you know what he did? He sent Moses to the backside of the desert for the extended period of 40 years. Man. Did you hear what I said? He was 40 years old when he slew the Egyptian. I'm putting the Old Testament and New Testament together here. He was 40 years old when he slew the Egyptian. God sent him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Tending the sheep of his father-in-law. I wonder if that's not training for pastoring. It's like herding cats. Pastoring at time is like herding cats. I should not say that to a flock. Just about the time you get them all in a one. I know, that's terrible to say. Pastor's a lot like herding cats. So he puts him 40 years, most of 40 years on the backside of the desert. Maybe in training, and I think for sure God is working some humility into him. So that at age 80, when he sees the burning, uh, the fiery, yeah, mm-hmm. Not the fiery furnace. I don't think it was the fiery furnace on the side of Sinai, do you? It was the burning bush up there. When he sees the burning bush at age 80, and God says, go. Then Moses said, now, who are you talking to me? Me? I can't talk very good. I don't, have, I don't have any ability. You can't be talking to me. You can't be serious. Now he's humble. And now he realizes that if, it, if this thing's going to work out, it's going to be because God's power is in him. It won't be in Moses' ability himself. Did God give him a second chance? Did God use Moses? Yeah. My heavens. He used Moses to such a degree for the next 40 years of his life, from age 80 to age 120, that God, when it came time for Moses to die and, and, and Joshua to take his place, and by the way, Moses also got the privilege of ordaining his successor. First ordination we know anything about in the Bible, Numbers chapter so-and-so, I can't remember where, Joshua is ordained by Moses, brought before the congregation of Israel, and Moses delivers a charge in the front of all of them, and he lays his hands on Joshua and prays over him, that's ordination, so that some of the honor of Moses would be put upon Joshua. And the people would obey. You do, incidentally, you do not obey your leadership because of who he is as a man. You obey your leadership because he's following God. Right. Amen? Amen? Incidentally, may I also say, when the Bible says, uh, he that teaches the word is worthy of double honor, that means pay. Yep. That's what that means. Man. Y'all may never ask me back. I hope you will. I hope you will. So Moses got a second chance. David got one. David got a second chance. His life was never the same after what he did with Bathsheba. His life was a disaster. His children died. He buried infant babies. There was turmoil in his home. One of his sons tried to have him killed so he could take the throne. And yet even then, God did not throw David on the rubbish heap. Amen.
God still... Now, now, David had it in his heart to build the temple. David wanted to build the temple. God wouldn't allow that. He said, no, sir, you're not going to do that. But I will allow you... This is very important. God said to David, I will allow you to gather the materials for the temple that your son will build. There's typology there, which I won't even get into. But here's what I want you to understand. David had the opportunity to serve God even after he wrecked his life, even after he's discombobulated and messed up, blew it big time. And by the way, incidentally, just let me throw out here, David was never excluded from the church. That ought, to, that ought to talk to us. Anyway, and God used him after that in a mighty way, in a tremendous way. And he gathered up the materials that his son would build the temple out of. And let me just say, I'm old enough now, Brother Charles is old enough now, that we realize that our labors, if they are, if they do bring forth fruit, we probably won't live to see it all. And I tell you right now, it's really important for all of us to be willing to labor in God's kingdom and bring forth, gather the materials for the building that will take place after we are gone. Amen. This is really important, and David's a prime example. And then along comes Solomon, his son, builds the temple, probably the greatest king in the history of the world. So wise, the queen of the south came all the way up there to hear and to ask him hard sayings, and she says when she gets there, it, I thought that what the story, what I was being told was too good to be true. And I get here and lo, the half has not been told me. Amen. She says of King Solomon, the greatest king. If you want to read something mind blowing, go read his prayer at the dedication of the temple. I think it's the first Kings chapter, first Kings chapter eight. It is strictly awesome. He's on his knees. The king of the nation is on his knees with his hands spread out to God praying in church. That's the kind of king we need in America. Anyway, and the saddest to me verse in the Bible maybe is right after that, right after the prayer, the dedication of the temple. The temple's been built. Most glorious thing maybe ever seen after the queen of the queen of the south comes, queen of Sheba comes up there to visit. Very next chapter, First Kings, I forget where. Verse 1, but King Solomon loved many strange women. That doesn't mean they were weird, although they were. You ever seen any weird women? Well, I've seen some. What in the world? How can I say that? I'm not saying y'all are weird. Let me tell you what I saw one time on Dixon Street in Fayetteville, Arkansas when I was in college. Saw a woman, her head was shaved on the right side, peeled like an onion, slick as an egg. The other side was flame orange, sticking up like it was on far. <clears throat> she was wearing cut-off shorts and combat boots and, and some sort of, I don't know. I would just say this. I did not go over there to make her acquaintance. I'll just leave it at that. But that's not what... And there are strange women. Ashley Judd. Madonna. What am I... Oh. 
Do you hear their rantings and ravings? Good grief. Madonna. Lady Gagpot. Why am I saying all this? I have no idea. Where does all this come from? I don't know. Them some weird women, man. Them weird women. But I'm not talking about that. Solomon loves strange women, meaning Gentile women. And King Solomon loved many strange women, not just a few, many. What kind of nut wants to be married to 600 women? And have 300 concubines. That is messed up. You ladies, I'm on your side. You with me, ladies? I'm on your side. I'm not against the ladies. I think Solomon was a nut. That's what Barney Fife would call him. I know for sure he's a nut. Want to be married tonight? What? And here's the deal about it, ladies. Don't be mad. It's hard enough to keep one woman happy. And by the way, I don't say that in a negative way. That is a husband's job to a large degree do the best he can to keep his wife happy. I take pleasure in that. Amen. I love it. That's why I take Becky coffee every morning and whisper sweet nothings in her ear which she doesn't even hear and smell her hair. wrong with Solomon? God still used the man. Are you listening? You would think, you would think that that'd be that. In fact, now that I think about Solomon, you think about the fact that God used Solomon knowing he would do that. And God still used him. God uses sinners, messed up folks, people that have, that have made a mess out of their lives discombobulated people, God uses them. God still uses them. What a God we have. Now, God has even used fallen women. And this may be as far as I get. My time's running out. God has used fallen women. Here I was making fun of Madonna and Lady Gagpot and Ashley Judd. Just let me say this, since I've already, I'm already in over my head, I just while pull this hole in on me. I hope that's not a representation of femininity. I hope that's not a representation of, of, of being a lady. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I'm talking to anybody that's even remotely like that. I'm just using that as an extreme example of what's probably a pretty good idea not to try to be. Right? There are also men that fit in that category. Shall I name a few? Michael Jackson. Prince. Shall I continue? These are men you don't need to be trying to be like, young men. Set your sights on something far higher than that. How can I believe I'm saying all this? Snoop Dogg. What? I hope that is not the epitome of what it means to be a man. I hope that's not the height of masculinity. 
Y'all understand what I'm saying? You, you gentlemen want to know? You want to be a man? You want to be a real man? I mean a man's man? You try to be like Jesus Christ. That's the example of a man. Okay, good gracious. God even used fallen women. One of my all-time favorite stories in the whole Bible is the story of Rahab the harlot. Did she get a second chance? Unbelievable. Not only did she get a second chance, she was instrumental in the salvation of her family. I do not mean eternal salvation. Right. She was instrumental in keeping her family alive so that they could become a part of the nation of Israel even though they were Gentile dogs. Wow. And you know what? Okay, I tell you what. Let's, let, let me close with Matthew chapter 1. Look, turn to Matthew chapter 1 and let me talk, you to, you about, talk to you about her just a little bit. She was a fallen woman, a harlot. God used her. God used her in a mighty way. She saved her old family. They were not destroyed in the destruction of Jericho. They became a part of Old Testament Israel. And lo and behold, she found a husband in Israel. She married a fellow. Can you all call his name? His name is Solomon. Read with me in Matthew chapter 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac be, by, the, by the way, the men do the begetting Friday night. Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget Judah and his brethren. Judah beget Pharaoh and, and Zerah of Tamar, by the way, who was a rape victim. And Pharaoh beget Ezra. And Ezra beget Aram. And Aram and Minadab. And Minadab beget Naas. And Naas beget Solomon. And Solomon. Solomon. Rahab the harlot became a part of the nation of Israel, fell in love with a godly man by the name of Solomon. They got married. God's given her a second chance. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab. So Rahab becomes a part of the Old Testament church. She marries a guy by the name of Salmon. Their firstborn son is Boaz. Famous. Who'd he marry? He also married a Gentile, a Moabitess woman by the name of Ruth. Y'all listening? Rahab the harlot. Ruth, who was not a fallen woman, but was nevertheless a Gentile. And Boaz began. Obed of Ruth. So Boaz and Ruth have a boy by the name of Obed. And Obed has a boy named Jesse. And Jesse's the father of David the king. So here is this. That just gives me chills. That Rahab the harlot was in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did God use her? Does God use fallen, discombobulated, messed up people? Does God use sinners? It's all through the Bible. God using people that are messed up. Look what God did with Jonah. Stubborn, rebellious, stiff-necked outfit. God said, go to Nineveh. And he goes in the opposite direction. And But God got his attention three days and three nights to the belly well, converting nearly anybody. 
And he finally, God gave him a second chance and he went and preached the preaching. God commanded him the whole city repent and he still got mad. Yes. I don't know what was up with him. God used, God used Jonah to preach and it had a great effect even though Jonah wasn't even in favor of it. Okay. Not to mention Peter. Not to mention Paul. Boy, did God give people second chances. So all I want to say to you as I close is you cannot let your past failures destroy you. Too much concentration on your past failures, dwelling on your past failures, gnawing on the bones of your past failures will keep you from serving God in the present day, I tell you. You may be a sinner. You may have messed up your life. You may have blown it. You may have done all kinds of... And I'm telling you right now, you are the very kind of person God will use. And I thank you for your really good attention. You're, you're just an incredible bunch of folk. It's just incredible. I thank you very much.